Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I invite you to take your copies of the scripture this morning and open to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. In a moment, we will read verses 22 through 26. I hope that you are encouraged this morning by hearing your brothers and sisters sing to the Lord. These are the truths that we proclaim, the truths that we confess, truths that attend to us, help strengthen our faith as we worship God. When I was younger, there was this girl, who now is my wife, who I desperately wanted to look at me. I wanted to get her attention. And I still want her to look at me, get her attention. Although I don't do stupid things I did then, now. Praise God for that. My kids also have the same reaction. They want me to look at them. Daddy, daddy, look at me. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. They want my attention. They want me to look at them. Do we want the Lord to look at us? Do we want His attention? Who does the Lord look to? Well, it says in Isaiah 66, doesn't it? But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We want the Lord to attend to us today, to look at us today, to draw his attention. What is our heart supposed to be like? This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. Is that your posture this morning before the Lord as we come to his word? Humble, ready to listen, ready to hear what he would say to us through his word, contrite, even trembling at his word. These truths that we will talk about this morning are precious and eternal and valuable and great and are worthy of us trembling at what God would say to us through his word. And so I pray that this is our posture Would you stand with us, with me, as I read this morning, Galatians chapter 5, verses 
22 through 26. Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, please give me physical strength and spiritual energy to speak your word with faithfulness, clarity, authority, passion, wisdom, humility, and liberty. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Do we talk much about the Spirit? Some even think that maybe the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the forgotten God, the one that we don't talk about much, the one that we might glance over, gloss over. Have you thought about the Holy Spirit this week? Who He is, what He's doing? What do you believe about the Holy Spirit? But maybe a better question is, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? It's to say that we hold these beliefs in the church. We haven't gone rogue to figure out what we believe about the Spirit apart from the rest of the church. We want to stand in that stream of biblical sound doctrine that has come down to us through other believers throughout the centuries, truths that they have affirmed wholeheartedly about the Holy Spirit. We want what we believe to be thoroughly biblical, to come from God's Word. We also realize that, and we're thankful, that we don't have to make it up on our own. What is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit that we confess together as the people of God, as the church, and specifically as this local congregation? It's good to start with the simple truth, not merely what we believe to be true about the Holy Spirit, but going all the way back to one of the earliest creeds, the Apostles' Creed. It was a confession of the church. It was not written by the Apostles, but shortly after the time of the Apostles, but it was written to summarize the Apostles' teaching. Do you remember the church in the book of Acts, Acts 42, they gathered together And one of the things they gathered together to do was to hear the apostles' teaching. So the Apostles' Creed makes a simple confession in the middle, without any explanation, it says this, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what it said? It's not merely what we believe to be true about the Holy Spirit, But it is the fact that we believe in the Holy Spirit 
We believe in the Holy Spirit and that he will do what Jesus taught he would do. We believe in him to be our helper who has promised to be with us forever, the one who is called the Spirit of Truth. And he is the one who will bring to remembrance all that Jesus has taught us as our teacher. He will dwell with us and he will be in us. We believe in the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father bears witness to Jesus Christ. He testifies to the truthfulness of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done. We believe in the Holy Spirit sent by Christ to us who convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We believe in the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth because He does not speak on His own authority but speaks whatever He hears from God. We believe in the Holy Spirit to act. He is living. He is active. The Holy Spirit works. And through the Holy Spirit, the most amazing, astounding, supernatural, miraculous things take place. We talk about it like this. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He attends to us. He attends to believers in Jesus Christ in a unique way. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which we know experientially, personally, and intimately, is the ministry that was promised long ago. It was promised in the days of Ezekiel, when the Lord says this, I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put, listen, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's the promise of the new covenant of God. A new covenant that says, No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is the new covenant that's come to us through Jesus Christ and is sealed and verified with the coming of the Holy Spirit of God who now indwells all believers of Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and to give you eternal life, then you are born again or you are born from above or you are born of the Holy Spirit. But now we ask this, what does life in the Spirit look like for the believer? How do you know if one is living by the Spirit of God? We are not merely ministered to by the Spirit to get into the faith. We are ministered to by the Spirit throughout the life of faith. And so the Spirit even is ministering to us now. This is one of the things that Paul asks already in Galatians. Having begun by the Spirit, are we now being perfected by the flesh? The answer is no. You've begun by the Spirit. The Spirit has done a work in you. He's given you a new heart. He's regenerated you. And now the Spirit is going to continue to be with you and work in you and help you and care for you. 
We're not perfecting ourselves. The Spirit continues to work in us until the day of completion at the day of Jesus Christ's return. Come quickly, Jesus. Come quickly. We're works in progress until that day. Now, Paul comes to us in Galatians and commands us, tells us to walk by the Spirit. How do you know, though, if you're walking by the Spirit? Or how do you know if you are following the Spirit? How can you find assurance that the Spirit is working in you now and today? How do you know if you are following the Spirit? Well, in these verses, we see three ways that you know if you are following the Spirit or not. And just to make sure that you'll come back next week, I'm only going to cover the first point this week. So number one this morning, how do you know if you're following the Spirit? Number one, you are following the Spirit if you possess the fruit of the Spirit. You are following the Spirit if you possess the fruit of the Spirit. The contrast in these verses is the contrast between the flesh. The flesh is our sinful hearts, our sinful natures, that in us which is opposed to God. So it's a contrast between the flesh and the Holy Spirit of the living God. These are in conflict with each other. They do not go together. They are like oil and water. They cannot be reconciled. And they will never be reconciled no matter how hard you try. You might want them to go together. You might think, well, maybe I can have a little bit of the flesh and maybe I can have a little bit of the Spirit. No. The flesh wants to do its own thing, and the Spirit wants to do another. The flesh is wanting to lead you in a direction that is contrary to God. Anti-God, anti-Christ, and anti-Spirit. And Paul has just warned us of the works of the flesh. These works of the flesh are to be avoided. Run away from them. Run away from them as fast and as far as you can. But now there is this beautiful contrast that we come to in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit that is contrasted to the works of the flesh. And notice how Paul changes words in this contrast. It is the works of the flesh, but it is not the works of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's an analogy that displays the beauty of God's truth and the beauty of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So why does Paul say fruit of the Spirit? Why does he use that word fruit? Well, first, it instills in us that unlike the works of the flesh, which we do, The fruit of the Spirit is something that God does in us. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift from God to the believer in Jesus Christ. Our works of the flesh only lead to sin and disaster and death. But the fruit of the Spirit, born in us by the living God, is life and blessing and honor and glory. 
It's what God does in the life of the believer. Believer, here is the fruit of the Spirit that has been given to you by God as a gift. Do you view this fruit as a gift from Him? And when, when was the last time you thanked God for the fruit of the Spirit? Have you ever thanked Him for this gift? And here is a very tangible point of application. Thank Him. Do not take the fruit of the Spirit for granted. Thank the giver who has given you the gift of the fruit of the Spirit and see that the fruit of the Spirit is the grace of God in your life. How is God getting grace into your life? He's getting grace into your life by giving you the fruit of the Spirit. You didn't deserve the fruit. You didn't produce the fruit. So thank God for the fruit. But Paul uses the word fruit of the Spirit to remind us that it is a gift given to us. But it is also evident that the, that the Spirit is working in you. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that the Spirit of the living God is working in you. How do you know if you possess the Spirit? How are you assured that the Spirit is indeed dwelling in you? You see the evidences of the fruit. How do you know if a tree is alive? You see its fruit. The backyard of the house that I grew up in was surrounded by fruit trees. I remember two cherry trees, uh, Cherry tree, that the cherries were for pies. They're a little bit more sour than the regular cherry trees. Three apple trees in the back, a pear tree in one corner, and then, then, on the other side of the yard, what I consider the piece of the resistance, the Italian plum tree, a beautiful plum tree that would produce a plethora of plums. These beautiful, sweet, delicious, never disappointing plums were there year after year bearing fruit until one year a windstorm came through and blew the tree over. My father desperately tried to rescue the tree. He propped the tree back up. But that tree never produced plums again. Imagine if one morning, after that tree had fallen over and was dying, imagine one morning if I went out to that damaged plum tree and found that my parents had tied on fruits, had tied on plums to that plum tree. That would be absurd, wouldn't it? And what if then I asked my parents and said to them, why? Why did you tie these plums onto this plum tree? And they said that, well, this tree was damaged and was dying, and that by tying these plums onto it, they were going to make it come alive. That is completely preposterous. Who would do that? 
Nobody. Why? Because fruit doesn't produce life in the tree. The life of the tree produces the fruit. Yet I fear that the opposite is often the default position of too many Christians. They fall into the view that this fruit of the Spirit is a to-do list. I've got to ensure that there's life in me, so I need to do this by doing these things. Let's see how I am doing. Love, okay, pretty good at showing love to people. I mean, after all, I don't hate anybody. So I must be good at love. What about joy? Joy, I've got some joy. I mean, I'm not joyful all the time, but I mean, who is? Fairly joyful, peace? Yeah, I think I'm at peace. All right there. Patience? Yeesh. I need to work on this one, but who doesn't need to work on patience? And so it goes. And what do we do? We take the Spirit out of the fruit of the Spirit. We think that we can tie plums on the plum tree and give life to ourselves. These are not personality traits. Where you might be prone more to some than to others depending upon your personality. No, these are the fruit of the Spirit. You possess them because you possess the Spirit. Yet, people try to fake it. They don't even try to tie real fruit on the branches of the tree. They tie fake fruit on the branches of the tree. It is these who want the appearance of godliness but deny its power. They might be able to do it for a while, but it never lasts because it's propped up with self-help power rather than empowered by the Spirit of the living God. Trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit in the flesh, that is complete absurdity. People who try to fake it might be able to fake some people for a while, but you don't fake the Spirit and you don't fake God. No Spirit, no fruit. If you have the Spirit, you possess the fruit. And yet we still know that this isn't perfect and complete fruit. Just as it is with this analogy, so it is with the fruit of the Spirit. It is still gradual. Just as a fruit grows on a tree, it's gradual. Happens over time. But it's also inevitable. It's gradual, but it's inevitable. Takes time, but it will happen. I was reminded of an analogy of if you took an acorn and you planted it in the ground, and then you did something, then you placed 
large marble slab of stone over the top of it. The fruit of the Spirit is like that little acorn that's growing. You know what it's going to do? It's going to grow and 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 it's going to to eventually break the marble in half. Because that's what an acorn does. It grows. It grows into a tree. It's inevitable. It will grow. And nothing, nothing can stop it. How great of a truth is that? If you possess the Holy Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit, and it is inevitable in your life. It will be there. You will see it. You can't hide it. You can't stop it. Nothing can stop it because it's the work of God in you to bear that fruit. And I love how Paul uses the word fruit in the singular. It could be a collective noun, but it also may be singular to indicate the unity of this list. These godly qualities all go together. And these are qualities that are first internal. These are qualities that come from our hearts. But it's not enough to think that you can see evidence of half of the fruit, but not the other half of the fruit. They all go together, and so we should view them as a whole. They are all working together. They are a unit that is being produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And yet we are too good at slicing and dicing the fruit of the Spirit up. So let us view them as a whole. Why, though, this list of virtues? Why is our attention drawn to this list? It's These that reflect, in fact, the character of God. They say, this is what God looks like, this is who God is, and then this is who you should be as well. It's the fruit of the Spirit that God uses in us to conform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And the fruit of the Spirit is something that God reveals to us in Jesus Christ, in the life of Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen a painting of a bowl of fruit? I think they call it a still life. And I assume that the object is to try to make that bowl of fruit look as lifelike as possible. I find them pretty boring. If you go through an art gallery, there are some, some pictures that might grab your attention. They might hold your attention for a while, and then you come to a bowl of fruit? Pfft, okay. Next. God, in His infinite grace and infinite mercy and His love, has painted for us a bowl of fruit. He's painted that in the life of Jesus Christ. And this picture, this picture that he has painted for us, it is glorious, it is captivating. We can't take our eyes off of it 
We don't want to take our eyes off of it because we possess the Spirit of Christ. And so, as we look to Christ, as we look to the fruit of Jesus Christ himself, who was led by the Spirit, we are so invigorated and desire that this same fruit is in our lives. We can't take our eyes off of this picture. We don't want to because this is the very picture of Jesus Christ. And this is the picture that God is painting for us when he tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. Spirit points us to God and to Jesus Christ and so conforms us into his image and so gives us the appropriate desire for this fruit to be in our lives. So what is it that we see? First, we see love. While there's no consensus on divisions of this list, there is more consensus that love is placed at the beginning for a reason. Paul says in Colossians 3.14, Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 1 Corinthians 13.1-3 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is of the utmost importance in the life of the believer. And it all comes from the love that has come to us from God himself. It's all from the divine love that we have been given. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He was sent to appease God's wrath the wrath that was rightly upon us because of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his, per- his love is perfected in us. This is the love of God that we know. Or listen to Romans 5, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? How has God's love, how has God's love been poured into our hearts? He goes on to say, through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. And now, it's this love, this sacrificial, selfless love that's come to us through the cross of Jesus Christ, that's come to us through our Savior, that we know and now comes out of us. We cannot miss love because we know the great love of God that's come to us. And so through then us, we desire God's love to go to other people. That they would know this great love as well. And we know as it says in Galatians 5.14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. What is that word? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul next says joy. After love, there is joy. Think of it. Joy is not something that you conjure up in yourself. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. 
Do we ever think of God as joyful? Do you ever think of God as joyful? Do you ever see God's joy? Do you know God's joy? What I love is that we even see God's joy expressed in how he delights in his son. He says this about Jesus. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I delight in this one. He's my son. John 3, 35 Jesus says this, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Why has God given all things into Jesus' hand? Because He delights in His Son. He finds joy in His Son. And now we know this joy, a divine joy that comes to us through our Savior Jesus Christ. John 15, verse 11. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Whose joy is it? It's not my joy. It's Jesus' joy in me. And it's not just a half-hearted, ho-hum joy. It's a full, abundant joy in the life that God has given. This is the joy that we cannot hide as believers. It's the kind of joy that comes out of us, that exudes out of us. And that's why Paul can say things like this. Rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but rejoice in your sufferings. Joy in our life, this kind of joy comes to us because it is Jesus' joy in us. Then there's peace. God is called the God of all peace. Yet in our fallen nature, because of our sin, we do not know peace with God. But through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. With the peace that we know with God, we should live in peace with each other. Romans 12.18 If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So because we have peace with God, we could be at peace with one another. Patience. Do you recognize God's patience to you? Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? How much patience has God given you? Patience until you turned from your sin, believed in Him. Patience when you sin even now. Patience as you grow. Patience when you fall or fail again. God's patience coming to us over and over and over again. And now it's because we recognize His patience towards us that we have Spirit-empowered patience towards others and towards any given situation that we're in. I wonder if maybe that's what we need this morning, patience towards God. You ever thought about that? God, I want you to do something, and I have a great plan of how you can do it. 
What do we fear? God's saying to us, wait. Wait. We can be patient towards others. We can be even patient towards God because of his great patience towards us. He's also kind. Said that also in Romans 2, didn't it? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? Here is God's generosity towards us, a generosity that you know because of the life you have in Christ. Think of all of the things that God has given to you, all that God has provided for you, how generous he has been to you. And so it leads us to kindness, generosity that we extend towards other people, graciously being generous. Goodness. God is the standard of goodness. He, as a loving father, knows how to give good gifts to his children. It's it's God's goodness, though, that was questioned in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say, is God really good? We see God over and over and over again in the Bible reminding us and saying, yes, I am good. I am the standard. If you want to know the difference between right and wrong, true and false, good and evil, you have to know me. I am the standard of what is good and right and true. And so as we know his goodness, we then also extend goodness to others, encouraging them towards what is right, encouraging them towards what is true. And may the breadth of our kindness be ever-increasing towards other people. Faithfulness. Our God is faithful. His faithfulness, the Bible says, goes before Him. And we have seen His faithfulness time and time and time again. Even the Bible says, when we are faithless, when we fail, God, You are always faithful. God, You never fail. He's fulfilled His promised plan in Jesus Christ. God is always loyal and dependable. And so now, as those who possess the Spirit, we also are those who are faithful and loyal and dependable to each other. Gentleness. Here again, we see God's gentleness expressed through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who said this, Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Spirit-empowered gentleness is a sign you have the Spirit. It's the mark of the Christian. We will see it even again in chapter 6, verse 1. The Spirit-transformed heart will be a gentle heart. Not a weak heart, but a meek heart. That's power through control, like a tamed horse, is gentle. So with the Spirit working in us, we can be gentle. Self-control. We know our God to be in control of all things, including Himself. He is not rash, undisciplined, or prone to fits of anger as we are. We also see this in our Savior, Jesus Christ. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When he, did not th- when he was threatened, he did not threaten in return, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
Unlike those who give themselves over to the works of the flesh and act in many ways that are contrary to self-control, the Spirit-empowered Christian is under control. Here is the fruit. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Beautiful fruit. It's how you know that you are a new creation. It's the evidence that you have a regenerated and new heart. Here is the new birth, those who have been born by the Spirit. This is not a fruit that is manufactured, but rather appears naturally in those who have been received into the body of Christ, for the Spirit of Christ is active in them. And we might think of this individually. We might think about this in our own lives for a moment this morning, but would we also think about it collectively as a church, that we as a church should be possessing the fruit of the Spirit. As the body of Jesus Christ, that the fruit of the Spirit is evident here. Paul adds a reason for why this fruit is necessary, why this fruit must be evident in our lives individually and in the life of the church. You see what he says here. It, the end of verse 23. Against such things, there is no law. The law is meant to bring restrictions. The law is meant to be a deterrent. The law is meant to curb certain actions. Paul's saying, there is no deterrent needed here. And the law, the law that the Galatians were in danger of looking to for salvation, the law they wanted to secure their salvation, the law and no other law, that law and no other law can produce the kind of fruit that the Spirit produces. This is the fruit that flows out of a new heart. So there is no law that is against this fruit and no law that can produce this kind of fruit in you. That's why this is not a to-do list. Because this isn't the law, this is the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. And let us go back for a moment. Let's go back and remind ourselves of one other thing. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. This is why Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And not our own works and not the law, because the works of the law, depending upon the flesh, depending upon our, our own effort to get this done, shows that we're still under the law and not under grace. And if you're under the law, then you're under the curse of the law. And here is this idea. If you abuse and bruise the fruit of the Spirit and turn them into works and turn them into law that you would achieve the power of your own flesh, then you are under a curse because you can never and will never produce this kind of fruit. That is why it must be the fruit of the Spirit because it is only the fruit of the Spirit in us that will avoid the curse of the law. 
We don't want to be under the law. We want to be free from the curse of the law. How are we free from the curse of the law? By faith in Jesus Christ. And what happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Fruit of the Spirit comes up. Because He is our life. Because you can't hide it. It's He who bore the curse of the law in our place. Who became a curse for us so that we are no longer underneath that curse, but so that we can have faith in Him through the promised Holy Spirit and so then can produce this kind of fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. And if you're producing this kind of fruit, if this kind of fruit is evident, then you are following the Holy Spirit. And if you then possess the Spirit, praise Him. Praise Him for His gracious gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you teach us through your word. Father, I pray that our understanding of the fruit of the Spirit would grow. That we would not abuse the fruit that we would not turn them into works of the flesh, but that we would see them as a gift from you. And Father, we know that we cannot fake these fruits. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who looks at their life and says, the fruit of the Spirit's not there. It doesn't exist. They would see themselves as those who are still under the curse of law and under the curse of sin and death. That right now they would see that the only way out is through Jesus Christ. The only way out is putting their faith and trust in Him. Looking to that cross upon which the Prince of Glory died. And saying, I believe that that's where all of my sin was paid for. I believe that's where, where I find salvation, forgiveness, and rescue. Father, may no one be trying to fake the fruit. Because while some might be faked, while some might be deceived, you are not deceived. So let true true fruit be in the life of this church. We know it's gradual, but we also know it's inevitable. And so, Father, we pray we will be those who are following the Spirit. And so moving towards you, 
and so moving toward each other. That we might do what it says there in that one verse. Those who would fulfill the law would do this one thing, this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.